Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Good morning. We were... We were joking back there before the service that it's the, the ninth birthday for the church, and I guess that meant that Jeff and Chris were just going to take the Sunday off because they're not leading worship or preaching. So, um, uh, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, the all-star team, exactly. Uh, if we haven't met yet, uh, my name is Chase Ifflin. I'm the Minister of Community and Connection here at Redemption Church. And We're kicking off a a short sermon series this morning that will take us through the month of January called Deep Meaningful Life. Um, And that title, Deep Meaningful Life, comes directly from our church vision statement, which is to help everyday people wake up to deep, meaningful life in Christ. If you were with us in the fall, you know that we were working through the book of Acts, and we will pick that back up again, as Jeff just mentioned, in February um, on our kickoff Sunday at UCO. But as we enter a new year, we wanted to take a couple of weeks just to refocus and renew our lives around Jesus. And the new year is such a natural time for reflection and for refocusing in all areas of our lives. Uh, We can make changes and evaluate our lives at any point during the year, but there's just something about the turn of the calendar into a new year that drives us to reflection. Uh, So much so that when we make changes to our lives in April or July or October, we just call them changes. But if we make a change in January, we've got a a word for it. What do we call it if we make a change in January? A New Year's resolution. Yeah, so show of hands, how many of you made at least one New Year's resolution this year? A decent amount of people. Uh, Whether or not you call them New Year's resolutions or not, the the New Year is a good time just to sit down and evaluate what's going on in your life, what's going well, and what needs to change in your family, personally, maybe vocationally. And if you did something like that this year, then you probably thought through different areas of your life, maybe like money and health, parenting, uh, what you, how you entertain yourself, how you spend your time, and you probably identified things that went well in 2022, things you wanna keep doing in 2023, but then also some areas where you need to shift and some changes that you need to make in the new year, and maybe you called them New Year's resolutions or maybe you didn't. Unsurprisingly, according to one poll, the top three New Year's resolutions for 2023 were save more money, exercise more, and eat healthier. Uh, Those are always the top three uh, on the list, but much further down was uh, focus more on spiritual matters. And this poll was just given to a sampling of the U.S. population, so not everyone who was polled was a Christian or even a spiritual at all. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, even as Christians, sometimes it's easier to jump to making changes around things like money or health or how we spend our time than it is to sit down and evaluate and resolve to change things in our spiritual life. And I think one of the reasons that's true is because the the deficits, the need to change in other areas of our lives are a lot more obvious and apparent than in our spiritual life. So for example, if you wanna buy a home, and you know you need a certain amount of money for a down payment, and you look at your bank account and you realize you don't have that money, 
then it's very obvious that you need to make a change when it comes to money. You have to start saving more money, and so you make a resolution to save more money. Uh, if you get on the scale and you realize that you've gained a few pounds over the years, and it's an obvious sign that maybe you should start exercising more, eating healthier, and so you make a resolution to do so. But when it comes to our spiritual life, it, it's a little bit different. Maybe we feel like we should pray more, maybe we want to be closer to God, but those are, those are not objective barometers that are really obvious, like money in a bank account or pounds on a scale. And so it's a lot easier to change those things, like money and health, than it is to evaluate and change our spiritual life. In other words, in those other areas of our life, like money and health, we know why we have to make a change. You wanna buy something or you wanna retire, you don't have enough money, you have to make a change. You get on the scale, the number's higher than you wanted it to, so wanted it to be, and so you have to make a change. But why we would need to make changes in our spiritual life is a lot less obvious. After all, doesn't God accept us as we are, and aren't we saved by faith and not by what we do? And if we're going to heaven when we die, why does our spiritual life matter right now? And we probably wouldn't say those things out loud as reasons why our spiritual life doesn't matter, but I think those are some of the assumptions uh, that lie behind the reasons why it's a lot easier to sit down and say, I want to save more money than it is to say, I want to grow closer to God and to make a plan for doing so. It's just not as obvious on a day-to-day -day basis as in our face um, that we need to plan for change in our spiritual life as it is in other areas of our lives. And so a lot of times we just don't make a plan. We just don't sit down and evaluate. We, we don't uh, make resolutions in our spiritual life like we do in other areas of our lives. But Luke, uh, Jesus has a parable in the Gospel of Luke that shows us why we ought to evaluate and make changes in our spiritual life just like we would in any area of our lives. So each week in this series, we're going to take uh, one of Jesus's parables from the Gospel of Luke and look at what it has to teach us about cultivating deep, meaningful life in Christ in 2023. And this morning, we'll start with the parable of the 10 minas from Luke chapter 19. So if you want to turn there, Luke 19 the parable of the 10 minas, we'll start in verse 11. And as you're turning there, we're just gonna kinda uh, look at the parable in three different parts. We'll look at the misconceptions that led up to Jesus telling this parable. And then we'll walk through the parable itself and look at the meaning of the parable for Jesus's listeners. And then lastly, we'll consider, after finding out what the meaning was, what, what is this message for us here in Edmond, Oklahoma in 2023? So first, the misconceptions that led up to Jesus telling this parable. Uh, we'll start in verse 11 and just read one verse to start. Luke 19, verse 11 says, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So there's a few things we need to notice before we actually get into the parable. And the first thing is that Luke says, As they heard these things. So what things were they hearing? Well, if we go back up earlier in chapter 19, it's the famous story of Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus was this hated tax collector who climbed up in a tree to see Jesus as Jesus passed by. And Jesus sees Zacchaeus in the tree. He invites Jesus, or Jesus invites Zacchaeus down from the tree. He wants to come dine at his house that night. The crowd gets angry because they hated Zacchaeus, but Zacchaeus welcomes Jesus into his home. He accepts Jesus and repents of his sin. And that famous story ends with verse 10, which says, For the Son of Man came to seek 
and to save the lost. And then we immediately get into verse 11 in our parable this morning. So the things that they were hearing, that the crowd was hearing that led up to Jesus telling this parable is that Jesus has just said, the son of man, which he's identifying as himself, has come to seek and to save the lost. And then the rest of verse 11 gives us more information. It says that um, they knew he was journeying to Jerusalem and he was almost there. And it says that they believed that the kingdom of God was about to appear immediately. So what's going on here? Let's tie all those things together. The Jewish people believed that the Messiah would be this great political ruler who would rescue them from their enemies, overthrow the Romans, lead Israel into prosperity, and set up the kingdom of God on earth. And these people had just heard that Jesus said, I'm the son of man, I'm come to save my people. They know that he's on this journey to Jerusalem, which is the political capital of Israel, and he's almost there. And so in their mind, they think this is it. Jesus is the Messiah. He's about to enter Jerusalem, lead a rebellion, overthrow Rome, set up the kingdom of God here on earth and restore the fortunes of Israel. And it's because of these ideas, which Jesus quickly uh, will show us are just misconceptions about Jesus and the kingdom that leads to Jesus telling this parable in the first place. So they thought the complete rule of the kingdom of God was just days away, this thing they had been waiting for. And Jesus says, hang on, let me tell you a story. And he jumps into the parable. So we'll pick it back up, uh, verse 12, and just read a couple verses at a time. Jesus says, he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do, not, uh, we do not want this man to reign over us. So the basic plot of the parable is that this nobleman is going away to receive a kingdom, the authority to rule over this kingdom, and then he'll come back. And based on the context, it's really obvious that this story is really about Jesus and his kingdom. The people thought the kingdom of God was days away, and then Jesus launches into this parable saying, let me tell you a story about a man who went away to receive a kingdom. And so uh, it's clear that this nobleman in the parable represents Jesus, and this kingdom represents the kingdom of God. And so before he leaves to go away and receive the kingdom, he gathers 10 of his servants, and he gives them each one minna. And one minna was about three to four months of wages for an average worker. So it's a good amount of money for these guys. And when he gives them their minna, he specifically tells them, engage in business until I return. And then there's this comment in verse 14 about his citizens hating him and not wanting him to reign over them. And it's kind of confusing why exactly Jesus includes this statement because it doesn't really seem necessary for the point of the parable. Uh, but what's really interesting is that an event like this actually happened in the lifetime of most of Jesus's listeners. There was a ruler named Archelaus who became ruler over Jerusalem, but he had to go to Rome in order to get official permission to rule. And when he was gone, there was a, a group of people that opposed him and tried to set up a different ruler in his place. And so it seems like what Jesus is doing here is using this real story that people would be familiar with in order to illustrate what his own kingdom is like. And that explains this kind of weird comment here that doesn't really fit in the story and commentators don't really agree why it's there. But it seems like it's because Jesus is using this real story to illustrate um, his own kingdom. And so we pick it back up in verse 15. The, the nobleman goes away and then it says, when he returned, having received his kingdom, 
He ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your minna has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your minna has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your minna, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap but you did not sow. And so the ruler comes back, having received the kingdom, he calls the servants to him and asks them to show him what they gained by doing business with the minas that he gave them. And so the first, the first servant comes and he, he shows that he made 10 minas with his one mina, and the nobleman is pleased and he gives this servant authority over 10 cities in his new kingdom. The second servant comes, shows that he made five minas, and the man is pleased, and he gives this servant authority over five cities. And then the third servant comes, and he just gives the man back his one mina and explains that because he was afraid of losing the money, he just hid it away so that he could return it when the ruler returned. And then there's this comment about the ruler being a severe man and taking what he didn't deposit. And again, I think some of that confusing language has to do with this being a real story about a real ruler and then Jesus using it as a parable. It's also an interesting uh, to point out that there were, there were 10 servants at the beginning of this parable, but we only find out what happened to these three. And it's probably because these three represent the two options in this parable. There were two outcomes. There were some who put the money to work and made money and there were others who didn't. There were some who were faithful and there were some who were not. There were two outcomes to this parable. And so let's see how the nobleman responds and how it ends, picking it back up in verse 22. He said to the third servant, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming, I might've collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the minna from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So remember what the master instructed his servants to do before he left. He specifically told them, engage in business. And so even if you might say this third servant, he's got a point here. He was just protecting this money. It, it wasn't his. He was still disobedient and unfaithful to his master because his master specifically told him, I'm giving this to you in order to engage in business while I'm gone. And so the ruler takes the minna from the third servant, he gives it to the first servant, which makes the crowd angry because the first servant already has 10 minas. And then the ruler asks for those who oppose his rule to be brought to him and slaughtered before him. And it's this, it's this shocking ending and it's meant to be that way to highlight the fact that there are some people in this story who are faithful to the nobleman to do what he says and there are others who are not. So what's the meaning of the parable? Well, first we gotta go back to why Jesus told this parable in the first place, and that was because the, the crowd thought that Jesus was about to set up the kingdom of God on earth, save Israel from Rome. And then the parable is all about a nobleman going away to receive a kingdom, and then after a certain amount of time, return, 
And in the meantime, he gives his servants uh, money to engage in business. And when he returns, he finds that some were faithful and some were not. And so the point of this parable is that the kingdom of God was not coming immediately, politically, and visibly like the people had hoped. Jesus, portrayed by the nobleman in the story, was actually going away, and his kingdom wasn't going to come in its fullness, at least, until Jesus came back. But that's not all. The parable also was supposed to teach the listeners that they have a choice in the meantime. When Jesus goes away, they can be faithful to him, like the first two servants, and they can serve Jesus with what he's given them, or they can be unfaithful, like the third servant, or like the delegation that opposed his rule. So just to summarize again, the parable of the 10 minutes teaches that Jesus is going away and his kingdom will not come in its fullness until he comes back. And in the meantime, Jesus' followers are instructed to remain faithful to him by putting to use what's been given to them. So the parable is about the timing of the full reign of the kingdom of God, which is future, and then about Jesus' followers' response to that kingdom in the meantime. Will they be faithful or will they, be, or will they not? So that's what the parable meant in its context, but what does this parable have to tell us today in 2023? Why did we pick this parable to kick off this series? I think it's helpful to think about the fact that Jesus told this parable, again, to combat some misconceptions about the kingdom of God and what he was going to do in Jerusalem. Now for us, it's harder for us to put ourselves in those shoes because we don't share those same misconceptions about the kingdom. We know Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem, overthrow the Romans, and set up a political kingdom. We know that Jesus went to Jerusalem to die on a cross and to be raised on the third day and to ascend to the Father and go away just like this parable instructed and promised to return again. But that doesn't mean that we don't have our own misconceptions about the kingdom that this parable can speak to. And I think one of those common misconceptions that is really relevant and might help us understand the message of this parable for us is, is the common misconception that's just so deeply ingrained in, Christian, in cultural Christianity in uh, our context, which is that Christianity can be summarized with this statement. It's all about asking Jesus into your heart and going to heaven when you die. Now, of course, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that statement. Asking Jesus into your heart is an is a okay way to talk about what it means to trust Jesus and going to heaven to live with God forever is a core component of the gospel message. I'm not saying that's a bad statement, but the problem with that statement is if that statement is meant as a full picture of Christianity and of who Jesus is and everything that he came to do, then it's incomplete. A statement is incomplete of, of what Jesus came to do and what Christianity is, what the gospel is. Yet I think for many of us who grew up in the Western uh, Christian culture, that's kind of an ingrained statement of what Christianity is. That's a popular way to talk about Christianity. You ask Jesus into your heart, you go to heaven when you die. Nothing wrong with the statement, but if that's a full, meant as a full picture of Christianity, it doesn't make any sense with the parable that Jesus tells in Luke 19. This parable shatters that misconception because it teaches that Christianity can't just be a get out of hell free card that you earn when you trust Jesus and then put in your back pocket until you're ready to die and then pull it back out again because Jesus didn't tell, the, the parable and the nobleman didn't tell the servants just, just wait for him to come back, just believe that he's gonna come back and then when he does, it'll all be okay. It's actually the exact opposite. He says when he goes away, you should actually get to work 
until he returns. You should use the gifts that the nobleman has given the servants and uh, be faithful until he returns. And so if we believe that Christianity is just about getting saved and going to heaven when we die, then we've greatly misunderstood the kingdom of God, just like the crowd did in Luke 19. So what does this have to do with refocusing and renewal in the new year? Well, this is the why behind our need to evaluate and refocus our spiritual life, just like we would with any other area of our lives. Because it is true that God accepts us just the way we are. It is true that we are saved by faith and not by works. We, a core component of the good news of the gospel is that we will spend eternity with God in heaven. But none of those things negates the fact that in the meantime, between trusting Jesus for the first time and dying or Jesus returning, Jesus has called us to engage in his business. He's given us work to do. He's called us to be faithful to him. And Jesus didn't leave us with uh, money to invest in business, obviously, like the parable, but he did leave us with his spirit. He, leave, he left us with specific gifting to use for his glory. If the whole plan of God was just for us to believe in Jesus and then go to heaven, he would just take us as soon as we believe in Jesus, but that's not what he does. He leaves us here with a job to do and with gifts to steward for his glory. And so if we want to be faithful to Jesus, it makes sense that we ought to examine how are we doing with our faithfulness to Jesus? Are we using the gifts that he's given us? Are we engaging in Christ's business? Again, it's not as objectively obvious to us as looking at a bank account and realizing I need more money to do something. But our why for our need to evaluate and refocus the spiritual life is, is bigger than a lack of dollars in a bank account. Because the God who saved us from our sins, who promises us forever life with him in a new creation, those core components of the gospel that we love and cherish, but he's also given us work to do until that day. And remember what the nobleman told the servants to do with the money. He just said, engage in business. He didn't say, you have to make at least a 200% return by the time I come back. He just said, take what I've given to you and use it. And that's what Jesus calls us to as well. He hasn't called us to perfection or to earn our way into the kingdom. He hasn't set this high bar that none of us can reach and that we would have to reach in order to get to heaven. No, he saved us by grace through faith, but he has called us to be faithful to him where we are and with what he's been given us. And so how do we, how do, we do that? How do we even go about evaluating our spiritual life and, and plan to cultivate deep, meaningful life with Jesus? Well, we do it similarly to how you would, uh, how you would do that with something like saving money or, or being healthy. You, you take a look at your financial situation if you wanna save money, you see how much do I have? How much do I need? And then uh, you make a plan for saving money each month until you get um, to your goal. And when it comes to the spiritual life, it's similar, a bit different, like we'll talk about in a second, but it is similar. You can look at your spiritual life and look at things like how often you pray and what you pray about. Are you connected to a community? Are you using your gifts and serving in the church? Do you go about your days in communion and connection and, and prayer with God? Or do you go about most days without ever thinking about God? And of course, evaluating those things is a lot messier than looking at dollars in a bank account or pounds on a scale. They're not as objective, but the process is the same. We ought to evaluate those things and then identify changes that we'd wanna make. 
So if you want to grow your prayer life in 2023, maybe you plan to wake up at a certain time, spend a certain amount of time in prayer. Maybe you plan to write down a list of people or things you want to pray for. Maybe you plan to read a book on prayer or listen to a sermon or a podcast. If you want to serve others more in 2023, you'd identify your gifts and identify an outlet for using your gifts. Again, it's a similar process to any other New Year's resolution that you might have made. Now, I said it's not the same, and it's not the same because you know if you save $1,000 a month for X amount of months, uh, you're going to have X amount of money after that time. There's some variables there, but you have a lot of control over how much money you want to save. But the spiritual life is different because if you commit to spending one hour every morning in prayer and in silence and in Bible reading this year, I can't tell you exactly what the results will be. I believe God will use those things to draw you closer to him and to help you cultivate deep and meaningful life with him in the new year, but I can't give you an objective outcome in saying you will be exactly like this. You will be X amount closer to Jesus in the new year, which is probably another reason why we don't uh, focus on changes in this area as much, because we like control and we don't have control over our spiritual life as much as we would like. And next week, we're actually going to focus more on personal devotion to Jesus and on uh, the spiritual disciplines that help us cultivate a deep, meaningful life in Christ. So we'll move on for now. But what I want us to see is that Jesus has called us to work for the good of our world and the glory of God. He's called us to faithfulness to him. And faithfulness to anything requires a deep investment. It requires regular evaluation and changes to make sure you're on track. And it's no different in the spiritual life. As we kind of wind down a bit, I want to uh, talk about two specific action steps that you can take in 2023 to help cultivate deep, meaningful life in Jesus. The first one is a tool that we put together a few years ago, and we update it each January, and it's called our Yearly Discipleship Plan. Uh, this is on our, our website. It's on the Church Center app. There's some paper copies on the table um, in the back of the room. And this is uh, just designed to help you walk through a basic process of evaluating your spiritual life, celebrating what went well in 2022, and identifying changes that you can make for 2023. So if you want to do this work to evaluate your spiritual life, but you don't know how, this is a great tool that will help you um, start um, sometime this year. It's based on our, our mission map, um, which our mission map components are believe, belong, grow, and go. And there's questions under each section that just help you celebrate what's going well and help you identify and plan, uh, help you identify what could be better and make a plan for the new year. So I just encourage you to take some time in the next couple of weeks to download that or pick that up and uh, work through that. Uh, if you're in a small group, we're actually going to ask you to share some of the things that stood out to you from your yearly discipleship plan in, um, in your small group when it kicks back off in February, because we believe that accountability and support from others is essential to our growth as a follower of Jesus. And that part, accountability and support, uh, leads to our last action step and where we want to end this morning. And that is that we want to encourage you to fully invest in church life in 2023. As we start this new year, we want to encourage you to dive into all aspects of our church without holding back. Now, 
you might feel like that was a bit of a bait and switch or a, a hard right turn because we've been, we've been talking about individual spiritual lives and individual changes in order to be individually faithful to Jesus. And now we're landing the plane talking about getting more involved in church. But here's two reasons why those two things, individual faithfulness and local church investment, are so deeply connected. The first is what we already talked about, accountability and support. We all know that if our goal is to exercise more, it's really easy to not follow through with your plan if you're the only one doing it. If you're gonna get up and run by yourself in the morning, it's really easy to hit snooze and sleep in, but it's a lot harder if you're running with a group of people. It's even harder if you're paying someone, a personal trainer, to help you uh, run. It's gonna be a lot easier to accomplish your goal and actually stick to your plan. If you're budgeting, and you've said that you're not gonna spend money on coffee because you wanna save for a house, if you're the only one who's gonna know if you spent money on that latte, it's really easy to buy the latte. But if you're budgeting with someone else who's gonna know, then it's a lot harder to break your budget, it's a lot easier to stick to your plan. And of course, the same thing goes for the spiritual life. We need accountability and support in our lives in order to make the changes we want to make in order to walk faithfully with Jesus. And so a church, and specifically a smaller group within a church, provides that accountability and support. The second reason those two things, individual faithfulness and church investment, are so deeply connected is because God's plan for his mission in the world runs through the local church like ours. We saw that as we began our study in Acts in the fall, that God's plan for his mission in the world is to plant churches in every city, in every country, on every continent where people can worship him and invite other people to worship him. And so if God's plan runs through churches like ours and we wanna be faithful to engage in God's business, then it just makes sense that our faithfulness to God requires investment in a church. And so really quickly, I just wanna give you a high-level pass of what that looks like here at Redemption. What, what do we mean when we say we want you to invest fully in a church in 2023? And we, we keep it really simple. So the first way we want you to invest in our church is by attending uh, Sunday morning worship gatherings like this one, to gather together to worship God as often as you can. For over 2,000 years, this is what Christians have done on Sunday, on the first day of the week. We gather together to sing, to hear teaching, to take communion, and we do it every Sunday in order to cultivate deep, meaningful life. We do it for God because we worship Him when we gather. We do it for ourselves because it reorients our hearts around Him and cultivates that life that we want. And we do it for others because we encourage one another as we sing and we can invite other people who don't know Jesus in to worship Him with us. The second way we wanna invite you to invest in our church is by being part of a redemption group. Now, these groups are our small groups and they are a core component of our church because we believe that God created human beings for community. And so in order to live in community, to know others and be known by others, uh, that's really hard with this group right here because it's a large group. And what we do on a Sunday mornings isn't conducive for getting to know one another deeply. And so that's why we have small groups where you can invest deeply in the lives of uh, 10 to 20 other people. And if you're not currently committed to a small group, we would love to help you join one. Uh, you can find a list of our groups and sign up for one on our website, on the Church Center app, or I would love to talk with you um, and help get you connected to a small group. The third way we wanna call you to invest in our church is by serving on a serve team. 
these, these are serve teams that exist so that you can use your gifts, what, where God has gifted you in order to build up the body of Christ. You can greet people on a Sunday morning. You can make coffee. You can change diapers. You can teach a kid's lesson. You could invest in students. You could lead, lead worship. You could pray. Uh, we like to say that we, we have to have serve teams in order to do church. If nobody set up here this morning, we wouldn't have been able to do church. But we don't have serve teams just for that reason. We have serve teams because using our gifts helps deepen our relationship with God and glorifies Him. And so even if we didn't need you to have church, we would still have serve teams. And again, if you're uh, not currently serving, and would like to, you can find a list of our serve teams. You can sign up for one on the website, on the app, or you can talk with me, and I'd love to help get you connected. Then beyond those core ways to invest in our church, there's things like giving. Uh, the Bible calls us to be a cheerful giver who supports the church financially, and so we give. And again, even our, our giving isn't just so that we can have a church. We give because it reorients our hearts off of the world and on to Christ and deepens our relationship with him. We also have our equipping ministry, which we want to continue to develop in the coming years. And uh, the couple of ways that you can invest in this ministry right now is by listening to our Wide Awake um, podcast that we um, revamped and released an episode each week in the fall. And we'll be back again in February releasing that. And then um, by attending equip nights, like the parenting equip night that we have tonight, which would be a great opportunity to get some equipping. We also have a women's retreat and men's retreat coming up this spring where you can hear some great teaching and develop close relationships with other men and women in our church. And then lastly, you can uh, invest in our church by going outside of our church and living on mission in your neighborhoods and your workplaces and at your schools and telling people about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. That was a really high level pass, I know, but hopefully that's just what we wanted to give you a picture of what we mean when we say we want to encourage you to invest deeply in the church in 2023. Um, if you're new to Redemption and you'd like to learn more about our church, we've got a Connect Lunch coming up on February 12th. Um, it'll be right after our service over at UCO, and this would be a great opportunity for you to meet some of our staff and pastors and to get connected to some of our core ministries, and we'd love to invite you to sign up for that on the app or the website. Um, as we close, I want to read a quote that uh, kind of underscores the correlation between individual faithfulness to Jesus and uh, investment in a church. Uh, this quote is from a book called When the Church Was a Family. And the author writes, long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible for genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay also grow. People who leave do not grow. We all know people who are consumed with spiritual wanderlust, but we never get to know them very well because they cannot seem to stay put. They move along from church to church, ever searching for a congregation that will better satisfy their felt needs. Like trees repeatedly transplanted from soil to soil, these spiritual nomads fail to put down roots and seldom experience lasting and fruitful growth in their Christian lives. Whether your temptation is to jump from church to church or just simply to hold back and not fully invest in church, this quote highlights the fact that it's really hard to cultivate a deep, meaningful life in Jesus without deep investment in a local church. 
not just casual church attendance, not even just Sunday morning, regular Sunday morning church attendance, but being deeply involved in community, those long interpersonal relationships, using your gifts to serve the church, giving financially to the mission of the church, being equipped by the teaching of the church, and then going out from the church and telling others about the good news of Jesus. So as we close, though, I just want us to remember that uh, this is not the goal. Investing deeply and fully in Redemption Church in 2023 is not our goal for the year. Our goal is deep, meaningful life in Jesus that results in faithfulness to him until we die or until he returns. If church investment was our goal, we would just do it as a box to check, and as, as soon as we get tired of it, we'd just pull away. But if our goal is faithfulness to Jesus, then church investment ought to be a part of our plan in order to cultivate deep, meaningful life with him. Because he left us with a job to do. Uh, Jesus has gone away to receive his kingdom. It's come in part, but we await its fullness. And in the meantime, he's equipped us and given us gifts to use to engage in his business. He's invited us on mission. We've got a mission to fulfill. He's placed us in this city, in this church, in this year, 2023, for a purpose. And we wanna be faithful to him and to that purpose. Let's be, let me pray for us. Father, as we begin a new year, I just pray that your mercy would be fresh and new to us, that you would lead us to deep, meaningful life in you in this year, Lord. We, we, we can't control that outcome. Uh, but God, we pray that you would, by your spirit, help us be faithful to do the things we need to do in order to cultivate that life. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who's been holding back from investing in a church, from serving, from joining a small group and um, developing those close relationships, Father, I pray that this would be the year that they would dive in. Not, not just for that sake, not for our church's sake, but for, for your sake and for deep, meaningful life in you. God, we just pray. Uh, your will be done in our lives this year. It's in Jesus' name.